you know, as technology and companies have responded to the environment to try to innovate, to create better and immersive experiences at home, you know, outside of venues where you would um, normally gather. I think that has just um, been, you know, a really, really interesting pickup. And um, we're watching closely not only for, um, you know, some continued wait during this time, but also just completely changing the game going forward. Um, and we don't expect that when things hopefully get back to to normal, I know we'll touch or, or somewhat normal, um, that we'll see any kind of reversion back to 100% um, of the mean. We're going to see a lot of these things continue. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Tom Salomes. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we are discussing trends and opportunities in the sports tech investment landscape with a particular focus on US investors, and we have a great selection of investors from some leading VC funds. Uh, we have Drive by DraftKings, Elysium Park Ventures, backed by the LA Dodgers Ownership Group, and KB Partners out of Chicago. We're going to dive straight into it. It is from our recent Australia Sports Technology Conference, uh, which was obviously virtual this year, as most events have been. You can go to sportstechworldseries.com. If you'd like to look at some of our more virtual events, uh, some of the recordings from there, and also subscribe to our newsletter, which will keep you updated on all the content that's happening uh, in the world of sports tech. Welcome to the Sports Tech World Series uh, Australia Sports Technology Conference. The panel discussion today on trends and opportunities in the sports tech investment landscape with a particular focus from US investors. So on our panel discussion, we have Meredith McFerrin, CEO and Managing Partner at Drive by DraftKings, uh, Jay Adya, Elysium Park Ventures, Lance Dietz, Principal at KB Partners. And, and between our fantastic panel, we've got uh, quite a many years in focused sports technology uh, investment. Um, so really interested to hear your perspectives and your views today. We've decided to focus on the US. Um, I mean, it goes without saying, but it is the biggest market, both in terms of capital, but also in terms of um, the actual kind of customer base um, for sports technology. So really, uh, really looking forward to, to those perspectives. So firing off straight into it, uh, and we're going to try and talk about COVID-19 as much as we need to, but not necessarily focus on everything because 2020 is a year like no other, but uh, <laughs> it, we're almost at the end of it. Um, so things will change and things will continue. Uh, so probably firing off for um, Jay, first of all, um, how has your investment thesis changed due to COVID-19 pandemic, um, if it has changed at all? Yeah, listen, it's a great, great question. And certainly, um, I think this, I hope for all of us, it's, it's a year like none other. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot is that, you know, I think the pandemic has, has done is sort of bring forward a lot of trends that have, have already been in, been in place, but, a lot of the the necessities from COVID nineteen have been accelerated have accelerated a lot of those trends. So I look at you know a couple of companies that we we spent a lot of time with are are frankly in sort of the automated um, production space, automated video and data production, video production and data capture kind of space. And just from pure necessities, right? You can't go to an event to film that event with this, in the traditional manner that you could previously. I think those companies have sort of been uh, accelerated or had some of their businesses turbocharged. Um, I think those kinds of things will, will, those kinds of trends will continue. You know, the other obvious one, which we'll come, come, come on to later on is just personalized fitness, personalized medicine, personalized kind of nutrition 
um, by virtue of being at home more often, you're, you're more likely to, uh, to take and take advantage of those kinds of opportunities. So I think in general, as we sort of think about it, there's, I don't know if anything, anything dramatically new has kind of happened, but I think a lot of those underlying themes that were, we thought were going to be going to accelerate have done so more rapidly. Yeah, definitely. So those, those efficiencies that were being sought, um, Mm -hmm. maybe just from a general financial perspective um, of being able to automate production, not having to pay for as many people to be there, but also the fan engagement. If you can film more games, you can get more content, you can sell more ads, you can connect better with your audience. Um, but now you physically can't have anyone there. So it right. kind of changes that. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, Meredith, you same question to you. Is there is there things that have changed your perspective or has it been similar to Jay where it's just you've seen things turbocharged that you were already looking at? Yeah, um, great, thanks. Yes, I would say very similar in terms of it's just been a, you know, an incredible acceleration of I think behaviors that were seeded and kind of ripe um, pre-COVID, uh, I do think that areas, personalization, interactivity, full integration across platforms, um, all these things, I think, you know, as technology and companies have responded to the environment to try to innovate, to create better and immersive experiences at home, you know, outside of venues where you would um, normally gather. I think that has just um, been you know, a really, really interesting pickup. And um, we're watching closely, not only for, um, you know, some continued wait during this time, but also just completely changing the game going forward. Um, and we don't expect that when things hopefully get back to to normal, I know we'll touch or, or somewhat normal, um, that we'll see any kind of reversion back to um, 100% of the mean. We're gonna see a lot of these things continue. Yeah, definitely. I mean, following on from that, a uh, bit of a different question for you, Lance. Is that something that you're, you think you're going to see um, planned to the future that um, this new normal um, will kind of continue in terms of the acceleration that you've seen in these areas? Is it, is it something that it's, um, I guess it's reset the goalposts on, on what you're focusing on? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great question. And, and, you know, I fully agree kind of with what Meredith and Jay have said that it's kind of brought forward a lot of trends that we sort of have been looking towards um, forced corporates to rethink kind of their future strategy now in the near term. Um, and I think like some of the stuff that we're exploring now um, that I think, you know, I find personally pretty interesting would be, you know, things around, you know, the intersection of some of these categories. So for, for us, one, one that we're starting to explore a bit more would be kind of the intersection of human performance and gaming or like game, you know, design. I mean, I think you're seeing these things blend um, quite a bit recently, actually, like state space is a company that I don't know if you're familiar with, but they just raised 29 million um, led by Kosla after like, you know, about six months after Kosla uh, invested 15 million. And on the surface, it looks like, you know, a new way for gamers to train. But to be honest, like, I think, I think it's more of a, a neuroscience company that is using gaming as a wedge to other stuff. They actually did something with the NFL Hall of Fame last year um, around kind of like a cognitive combine. And I, I think you're seeing more of this, especially in sports, um, you know, taking kind of technologies and platforms um, in ways of doing things from other industries. So I think these intersections... I'm, I think now we're becoming a lot more 
more apparent. And I think that's what you're probably going to see over like the next few years in areas that we find pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting you mentioned state space. We actually had it on um, the podcast Sports Tech Feed, Global Sports Technology Podcast. We didn't plan this, by the way. So thanks for mentioning that. Opportunity <laughs> to plug our podcast, which I host, and um, interviewed uh, one of their, their members of the team. Um, used to be a strength and conditioning coach for the San Francisco 49ers. Went from working with you know, 300 pound linebackers um, uh, to doing elite performance for esports players um, and for gamers. And so applying some of the the um, principles and, and kind of learnings from that, from the sports science side into esports. And that's what state space do. It's, it's cognitive learning. It's um, basically uh, brain training, esports performance, gaming um, for people getting better. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. It's very clear kind of application of um, existing sports science principles um, to esports, which is a huge burgeoning area. Um, and, and maybe something we'll talk about a little bit more today. Uh, and speaking about growth areas, um, I guess uh, back to maybe back to Jay on this one. What are you most actually? No, sorry, we'll go to Meredith. Sorry, Jay. Well, you, you can right. Meredith. What are you most bullish on for uh, the next one to two years in terms of investment areas? What do you think is really gonna um, really gonna take off? Yeah, um, great. I'm eager to hear from Jay as well, but I. <laughs> Um, I do love Lance's point too on just the intersection of all these things. Um, so I will say independently, if we had to break up the sports and tech um, and really sort of digital entertainment landscape, we're really focused on and very bullish on four specific areas, although I do think that they intersect. Um, one is, you know, fundamentally is still in the sports and, and gaming platforms, which is tons of runway and sports betting and esports, as you've mentioned, um, iGaming and just mobile gaming overall. So we just are, are really bullish on that. I think that we're still in early innings um, as we see sort of tons of runway and just growing legalization, adoption in esports and esports betting, where that's gonna come um, in the future. And then just in, in on the micro level of like P2P and um, you know, peer-to-peer kind of betting and microtransactions and, and all of that. So very bullish on that space. In addition, human performance, we'd call it human performance, others, you know, athletes' performance, but the whole area of just being able to quantify, you know, yourself, having agency over your body and mind and wellness and all aspects of that, that um, is just, we think, a huge growth area and, you know, will be pervasive, not only with the most elite athletes and what they're wearing with whoops and others, um, but, but also just, you know, everyday athletes as they get out and they try to measure, um, how they can, um, how, what their state of being is and how they can be better, how they bring forward their best self. So huge area of growth there. Um, then I think in the area of media and fan engagement, just, you know, tech explosive growth in that area and in many ways, um, aided significantly, as you mentioned, by the, the kind of COVID period here of, more immersive experiences coming in digital formats, accessible everywhere, interactivity, ingestion of data from a lot of these wearables, speaking again to Lance's you know, intersection point, that then allow us to get more engaged and, um, and, and participate in a much more highly interactive way. So we love all those three um, you know, uh, themes within sports and tech and and are bullish on all of them and, and do believe that, you know, data and analytics is an under, 
underlying layer for all of this um, is sort of fuel for it. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Do you, Jay, do you have anything to, or Lance, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, listen, I would, I would just to absolutely share all the thoughts on, or agree with all the thoughts around kind of the, the early innings of kind of fan engagement, um, consumption habits being kind of driven around fan engagements and obviously the, the tie-ins into the betting markets of any kind are, are, are super, at least in the U.S. in the early innings. You know, I think the kinds of things that, that, that people will start to bet on will, be, will change. It's no longer necessarily going to be, okay, I wake up and here's a line and the line was five and a half for team A over team B. It's more, more interesting when engaging kind of things, right? Like did LeBron James make the free throw or not? Did this pass get completed or not? Like the micro, micro transactions, I think, have become much more interesting. Just more, much will allow for the the consumption of media to be much more interactive, much more engaging. Frankly, lead to better, better and higher viewership, um, in in sort of in that in in those uh, for those live games, um, supplanting or, or or augmenting kind of the traditional viewership patterns. Um, in space, we spend a lot of time on is frankly, hopefully, being a little more optimistic about the resumption of kind of like on-field activities. And we spend a lot of time in the youth sports space. I think there's a lot of different interesting um, activities and opportunities for when kids of all shapes and sizes, of all ages, of all um, uh, elite thresholds or otherwise kind of get back to the field. Like what, what does their, what does their like life look like when they're back on the field? Like how are they competing? Where are they competing? How do they raise money for their programs that they're competing in or with um, we have a company called SnapRaise, which is sort of a, a fundraising platform for for youth sports, which we're pretty bullish on and excited about, simply because they they can speak to you know seven thousand, eight thousand different high schools that are around the country, um, and how those kids and how those coaches can can deliver the programs. Right? And so we do think that the, that that COVID is a has made for a challenging year, but we do we are optimistic about how we we all collectively can emerge from that. And so those are two things that we we sort of think about. Um, in more in a more deeper way. Yeah, and also, I mean, automated production, which you mentioned earlier, is the ability to be able to put a uh, capture youth sports and and use automated production systems where ordinarily you wouldn't have been able to. So, driving deeper down. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's actually one of the areas where you know you mentioned earlier of you know what, what we talked earlier about sort of the accelerants and one of the things that's been surprising with, with this company we, we have an interest in called Synergy Sports, which is sort of melds together automated video capture with automated data capture and primarily our, our target audience for that for historically has been kind of second and third tier to your point, high school, lower college, maybe the lower professional leagues in, in, in around the world. What we're finding is frankly that we're inbound interest from frankly leagues that we never thought would be interested in, in that sort of product who are kind of reaching into kind of, Hey, what kind of alternate software enabled kind of tools, techniques, tactics can we use as a better league to deliver the product we need to deliver, right? Which is not a conversation we thought would be emer emerging or unfolding. But I think given kind of the financial requirements or the financial um, hardships that some of these leagues have faced, this sort of brings into those, those conversations more into view. Yeah, definitely. Is that something that you're seeing as well, Lance, around, I guess you call it the democratization of technology, the way it's, it's filtering down um, both lower leagues, but also um, uh, Meredith made the point about the, uh, the kind of, uh, the quantified self, the ability for yeah. anyone and everyone to be able to measure and track what they're doing through data and technology. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I love what Jane and Mary said. I mean, I agree with a lot of that. And, you know, diving specifically into that, I mean, I think one point 
around the quantified self or the connected athlete or the human performance, you know, is, is kind of how we think about recovery. Um, you know, there's a lot out there about how to get more fit, um, a little bit what to eat and so on. Sleep, sleep is becoming a big issue, mm. um, or at least top of mind for a lot of people. And I do think recovery is maybe still lagging amongst some of those other types of factors. I mean, we're starting to see it more now, right? Like, as you've alluded to, like Whoop just raised at a billion dollar valuation. Hyper Ice just raised at like 700 million recovery products. Um, LeBron James spends, like he said, he spends like a million and a half a year on his, <clears throat> on his performance from sleep, chefs, um, recovery training. And I think like democratizing that to, you know, the mass consumer on this path towards, you know, a more personalized whole health experience, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, elite, elite performance is, is a great, um, is a great place for some of this stuff to start. But I think like we do always, you know, think about how does this then, you know, um, get to the point where it's a, it's, it's serving the mass consumer in a way where it's more personalized, um, it's more focused, it's more cost effective. And, and I think you'll see more and more of that um, heading into the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, as part of the conference, we actually interviewed um, Will Armand, founder of, of Whoop, mm-hmm. and he made the point that it's uh, it's about recommendations and um, feedback for anyone using these products. It's it's kind of pushed beyond just well tracking it for the sake of it. Is it tells you what you need to do to yeah. get better, and and a huge part of that is recovery. Um, and it's really interesting you mentioned that. And I think that's that's definitely what we're seeing a lot more of um, uh, in space and, and even on the nutrition side as well, health, wellness, and I guess all these, um, I guess, slashes, you know, it's, it's health, fitness, wellness, right. nutrition, recovery. It's, it's this amorphous term um, that's getting further away from sports in one way, but at the same time, it's still um, very core to, to what we think of uh, as sports. Yeah. I mean, so, to your point about, you know, it's, it's going, you know, beyond data. Like there's like a company this morning that just raised uh, from Andreessen Levels Health, which is a metabolic health company. Yeah. And your point, it's it's very much about not not just what you're doing or like what you're eating, but like what that does to you specifically and how that impacts, you know, should you go for a walk right after dinner? When should you train? When should you rest based on diet and so on? So I think, I think it's a really, really interesting time for a lot of those technologies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, coming back to you, Jay, what what areas do you think are most overblown? And please be brutal, specific, savage on on this. <laughs> um, you know, listen, I, I I think that there are a number of interesting opportunities in within esports. I think the esports team kind of dynamic is overblown. Um, team ownership values are in my mind, wildly inflated and won't make it unless it's a trophy buy. Um, that'd be one area that I'd sort of, um, sort of in, in instinctually kind of point to, not to say that the cat, um, we're, we're negative on the category in any way, but, but, you know, we have taken a look at most all different um, team or team like instruments in there to our mind is, is, uh, is an area of, um, of just uh, difficulty. The other area I'd say is, more difficult is you know there are still a lot of different publishers that are out there trying to sort of aggregate audience and monetize in the backs of advertising 
um, which given the rise of pick your statistic around programmatic advertising, especially for sports and with, even within sports, um, they just become tough models to sort of see your way through. Um, so those would be two areas that I think are ones that we've, we've looked at, we've evaluated, not to say that there's not diamonds in the rough, but it's tougher categories for us to get, get convicts around. Yeah. I mean, some of the success that you've seen with, with team ownership is more, it's a lifestyle brand, something like a hundred sure. or something like that. It's not actually the esports team. Um, yeah. But everything they've done around it to surround is where they find they, they drive the value in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Meredith, any, any views on that? You know, you, you can be meaner than Jay. I really want to be nice and, and agreeable. We need to. Right. Uh, okay. Um, I, uh, for, I think it was, he's, he's touched on two really, um, re- really good ones there. I guess if I was to, to um, I'm not sure it's a counterpoint, but on the esports team piece, um, I, I, I really wonder whether this is um, as much of an opportunity as it is a, um, a tough nut to crack around sort of a totally different business model that sort of, is this an area where we're ripe for business model innovation? Because there's something that's not necessarily, um, that doesn't make a lot of sense right now in terms of how the money flows or, um, or doesn't around in, in this esports kind of segment and specifically around teams. Um, Mm. And so, you know, we're looking kind of um, carefully at this space, figuring out because we're so bullish on esports and do believe that um, that there's there's some other ways that this might make sense. Um, So I guess I both agree and also am (laughs) working on some um, emerging thesis around how this could be different and who's going to um, blow that up, you know, not blow it up, but who's going to uh, take a different kind of crack at it and see where we can drive growth. Certainly. And, and, and I mean, you can talk about it till you blew in the face about is esports sports, but definitely on the business model, it's not sports in terms of, um, you know, the, the equivalent would be on a publishing title, um, Fortnite, something like that. Um, the NBA doesn't own the rules of basketball. You can still grab a basketball, go on the street, play with the basketball. You're playing basketball. Um, the league is represented at an elite level, um, whereas in terms of the intellectual property, where the game publishers sit and, and also how they're incentivized, um, Fortnite right. incentivized to push microtransactions. Um, they're not necessarily incentivized yeah. to have everyone watching and right. you know the Fortnite World Cup. Like That's, that's really like a, a marketing spin that comes back into the fact that you know, twelve-year-old spending thousands of dollars on um, on skins and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. it's an interesting one that certainly needs right. a lot more. Yeah, money. organized so differently than you know NFL and the NBA. And, you know, where there's just a completely different different model there. So yeah, what role do publishers play relative to the teams, the sponsors, all those coming together? How, how does this um how does this space who who makes money within it and teams being you know in a tough spot? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you really like the title that much, I would say to buy that, either try to invest in Fort, uh, Epic in the private round or buy, you know, Activision in the public markets. Not so much buy a team. Yeah. Just one person's opinion. Yep, yep. No, I, I'd agree. I'd agree. Lance, yourself? Man, I was hoping I would get out of this one. Because um, you know, <laughs> you're so bullish on all. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, everything's I great. Everything's awesome. Yeah. Right, exactly. I think the way that 
that we try to think about it a little bit is, um, you know, like Jay had mentioned and, and Meredith, like where things are pretty competitive, you know, I think like minor innovations aren't as interesting to us as it is like changing the game on something. So, you know, in the sports betting world, um, you know, we've seen a lot kind of on like minor iterations on, on platforms. Um, so sports, yeah, you know, sports betting platforms. I think where, where we've sort of trended to look more is like kind of what are the enabling technologies that like, um, you know, facilitate the experience um, and that's in compliance, that's in regulatory, like what are things that people like aren't, aren't nearly as sexy, but are things that like have to happen for this industry to kind of reach the levels that we expect it to. So I think stuff like that in sports betting is where we're spending a bit more time um, and also kind of the like adjacent, you know, beneficiaries of that. So um, like either, either in content um, or in streaming technologies that aren't necessarily directly related to, you know, sports betting itself, but either help facilitate it or are a direct, you know, beneficiary of it by nature of the platform that they have or the users that they're serving. So, um, you know, and I think we apply a similar logic a little bit to some of the other, you know, some of the other industries or verticals as well. Um, in the like connected fitness space, we have seen a few like lookalike, um, you know, competitors to a mirror, a tonal, uh, Peloton. And, and while we like the category, I think those aren't as interesting to us as someone taking either a different business, business model approach um, or community approach um, than just being like another mirror for X or another tonal for Y. Um, so I think that's how we think about it a little bit. It's the, uh, the sports tech equivalent or connected fitness equivalent of where the Uber for X. <laughs> right. Just right. a meaningless statement and doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't build upon it. But following your comments there, Lance, um, that's probably where we've seen the largest activity, largest acquisitions, investments this year uh, has been the connected health such fitness, wellness space. Um, obviously, Whoop, at, uh, Unicorn now, um, Mira with Lululemon, um, Strava most recently. Um, do you think that's going to continue into 2021 or have you really kind of reached the high watermark for the immediate future? Back to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, especially with Lulu and Mira, for example, I think brands are realizing that there are ways to engage customers more deeply through these types of platforms um, and to offer adjacent services um, and just to touch them in a whole different manner. So I do think you'll start to see more and more corporates look for ways to um, play in those spaces with adjacent complementary startups or you know, partnerships. And, and as a result, I mean, I think investors will continue to fund those companies um, so, you know, I think, I think we have seen, you know, probably some of this run up or be pulled forward by the pandemic, of course, right? Just because everything has gone to digital at home. But um, I don't necessarily think it's, it's the high watermark just yet. I think there are some really great opportunities for companies to continue to expand through acquisition um, or partnerships with these types of startups coming up in the space and serving a specific community or niche or aspect of that. So, um, you know, I hate predicting, you know, predicting the future, but I, I do think there's still a lot of room to run and a lot of white space as well. Yeah. 
Quickly, Meredith J, yes, no, agreeing, and if no, why? Uh, sure, I'll jump in. I, uh, I agree. I think that we, meaning I agree that there's more room. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do think that we are at an interesting point of seeing, you know, a, a lot of fragmentation, meaning there's a lot of companies bubbling up, going after tackling a problem in um, a similar problem and maybe, in, and we hope in slightly different ways, but my thought is that we'll start to see, you know, some, um, some of this pickup in M&A partnerships for sure, potentially some roll-ups, things like that, that will, uh, as we look forward into, you know, 21 and 22, uh, because of just the sheer pace and, volume of, of innovation right now in the space, but I, I, I think we've got, you know, m more to go here. Yeah, and also the second, I guess the second wave that comes from these unicorns looking to then make acquisitions to help them grow. So then, then kind of the big fish eating the little fish kind of thing um, into a right. big pond. So that's, that's yeah. certainly a second, not as big in terms of uh, the value of the acquisitions, the deals, whatever, but um, certainly for those those fast followers, that's um, I guess where they'd be looking. And one one other quick point is just um, you know you, we we talked about democratization earlier and just kind of going from sort of some of the more elite icons who are utilizing a lot of this to the mainstream, and I think there's there's more you know just there's a lot of demand. Um, there's a lot of now accessibility um, from tech and from you know the more affordable um, access to a lot of this fitness tech, the wearables. There's connection into all the platforms. So I think that there's just a good you know just demand there that's going to fuel this for for a few more year you know years to come. And I also think there's. You know, we talked a little bit about recovery. What is recovery, right? Is recovery is um, an active aspect of performance, right? And so it used to be like, just stop. And now it's actually keep going and think about all these other aspects of what you might need to keep going. So I'm just seeing in this particular space, um, continued demand acceleration and, um, and foresee that for a bit. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah, the, the recovery used to be, I guess, a negative space. It was just, well, yeah. <laughs> do nothing kind of uh, in a very basic term. But now it's an, it's an active, active, the idea of active recovery, which certainly opens right. up a whole new, new market. Yeah, that's my point, is that even that as an example, just like, oh, it's, it's opening up a new market. There's lots of adjacent markets around the advancement in sports tech and quite frankly, in all the other subsectors that we talked about as well. Yeah, definitely. Jay, so we, we're kind of running low on time. So I actually want to get your perspective on our final question, which is um, what would your advice be for startup founders looking to build relationships with VC? So you're located in the, the startup and VC network um, of the Bay Area, San Francisco. So what about for founders that you're either working with or, or you know or um, have invested, are uh, maintaining relationships with, what do you want to see from them um, if they're from you know, Melbourne, my hometown, even Austin, where I am now, you know, not in the, not in the beating heart of it, 
um, and especially yeah. when they can't necessarily get on a plane or go to an event to speak to you in person. Yeah, I mean, let's listen. The the two the two questions we always ask um, of of, uh, of any of the founders we talk to are are you know are you all in and what's your energy level and uh, and you know I think those those two questions or or variants of finding out that those answers are uh, are instructive for any any entrepreneurs that kind of are interested in kind of reaching out to venture venture folks or people just been part of the sports tech kind of ecosystem. Right? I mean, I think. If you can show with in in and be genuine in doing so, that listen, this is like this is the the thing that I want to do, and I have an incredible amount of energy and conviction to do so. You know, I think that that proves to be more um, alluring, more um, kind of appealing than anything anything else. I mean, at the end of the day, companies are going to move and migrate and pivot, and and business plans shift, and you miss plans, and you exceed plans, and you know you're in the trenches together. I think those are. But if you have that energy level and you have the sort of the, the, the conviction around what you're doing, I think that's more than, more important that we, th- we think that's more important than anything else, particularly in earlier, earlier stage opportunities. Yeah. And, and uh, Lance and Meredith, we've got a, literally a minute left. So 30 seconds each, what would you, what do you want to hear from um, founders when you're looking to invest? What, what should their approach be? What are the, um, how do you want to deal with them, I guess? Lance, do you want to go first or? Please first. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, uh, I guess I just, there, there's uh, so many things. I'll just point out two. They're not, uh, I agree first with what Jay said. It's just absolutely about sort of founder first and just who are you and the team and how are you going to make this happen and run through a wall to do it. Um, but secondly, um, what is your point of difference, right? So in, in, Many times, you know, we, we hear from them just coming at it, um, got to have a problem you're solving with a unique solution. It's sort of like, why this? Why you? Why now? Right? And yep. you got to be able to answer those questions. Cool. Lance, you've literally got about 10 seconds. So yeah. Ready to start your version? My only ad is just like, we love to meet founders early. We see it as a partnership. So um, even if it's too early for our stage on when we – normally like to invest. We'd like to meet early, learn the team, the business, see if we can be helpful and kind of grow from there in partnership. Fantastic. So building that relationship from early on, that's something advice that we give to startups as well. It's an ongoing relationship. It's not just turn up, you get that that first check. It should be ongoing. And also you can share the growth journey as well. So thank you so much all for your time. It's been really useful. Um, uh, I've learned a lot from it. So thank you again, Lance, Meredith and Jay. Um, We look forward to speaking to you again soon. There you have it. That was Trends and Opportunities in the Sports Tech Investment Landscape. Uh, Thanks again to Meredith, Jay, and Lance from Drive by DraftKings, Elysium Park Ventures, and KB Partners, respectively. I think you'll agree. uh, Some great perspectives there. And interesting to to hear that they're still quite bullish on the connected fitness market. It's one of those things that you could think it might have reached a peak in 2020, but even since recording that, we've had Hyperice come out and say they've they've got some more funding and are banging on the door of the Unicorn Club, um, obviously in the connected fitness space around recovery, which is exactly what they talked about. So shows they're on the money and really interested to see their portfolio companies grow into 2021. We'll see you again next week at the same time, same place for your latest dose in sports technology. 